Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. That's what we're going to start with today. Um, the title of my message this morning, David asked me about that before service started, and I had, uh, I've given it two titles, actually. Uh, one of them is Reconciling the Bible with Suffering. That's uh, the first official title. The subtitle is, Where is God When It Hurts? And uh, that's really what I want to share with you about this morning, is where is God when it hurts? You know, um, almost two weeks ago, I think it was Monday night, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I had had, uh, I'd been in the hospital like three weeks ago, and then I'd been out for a week, and one doctor said you didn't have an infection. Three doctors said you did. I did. Uh, and the one that said I didn't kind of won. And so I got discharged with um, just a, uh, a steroid to uh, keep swelling and all that stuff down. Um, and the other three were right. And so what happened is when I finished the steroid, everything blew up again um, because there was an infection that was smoldering underneath and meanwhile tunneling into my bones and stuff like that. So uh, as it turns out, um, I had asked for prayer and the elders came uh, on a Monday evening and uh, many of you who were able, there was about 20 or 25 people here, you came and prayed for me. And we asked for some very specific things. Among those things, we, I specifically asked that God would, uh, take away any infection, there would not be any infection, there would not be any need for a PICC line and intravenous antibiotics and all that stuff, because I don't know if you know this or not, but just being on a very powerful intravenous antibiotic for eight weeks will make you sick, uh, besides the other stuff, you know, so just, just kind of ask God to take all that stuff away. And we prayed for that, and um, I was supposed to have a bone scan the next morning, which I did, and I had a uh, aspiration done to see if there was anything growing uh, and we asked that there not be any infection and guess what <clears throat> I have a bone infection and I have a pick line now it's tucked right under here and uh, I hook myself up to antibiotics twice a day and all of those kinds of things and in the midst of that if you're like me you probably wonder so what is this James 5 stuff all about? I mean, what is it when the Bible says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, the prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise him up, if he's committed any sin, they will be forgiven him. And so pray for one another and confess your faults to one another so that you can be healed. And you may be thinking, did we get it right? What does the Bible mean? How am I to understand what's going on here? And I ask God those questions. I do. And I go to him and I say, Lord, you know, there's some things I really don't understand. And I need some insight. And I think it's only fair for me to share with you my questions and some of my struggles and some of my uh, spiritual searching because uh, if nothing else, Jesus is the chief shepherd of the flock. 
but I am the under shepherd of this flock and I have a responsibility to point out to us the the potholes and the pitfalls and the danger spots and where the path makes a turn that we didn't catch and that's my responsibility and and I want to share that with you I don't want to live my life in a vacuum somewhere and not be open with you about where I am because Many of you have walked through deeper waters than I've thought about. And some are facing battles that are bigger than anything I've faced. You know, and I survived heart surgery at the first of the year that was pretty amazing, and God did some marvelous and wonderful things. He kept me alive until the surgery. That was pretty amazing in and of itself because I had an aneurysm that was ready to blow. And he kept me alive through it, and he kept me alive after it, uh, despite some uh, well-intentioned medical errors even there. And he kept me from stroking out uh, when the blood thinners were all wrong, and he's still intervening in amazing ways. And yet, there's questions. And so, Romans chapter 5 is... Uh, is a great place to start because the Apostle Paul says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There's two things that Paul says here that are pretty amazing. Number one, he says, you've just become believers, or if you have just become believers, you have come to Christ, and you have reason to praise God and to exalt and to glory in God because you've come to faith. You have come into a relationship with the living God. You have come alive in Him, and you have this brand new life that you can live in Christ. And then he says, and there's tribulations. <laughs> Oh, by the way, and we can rejoice in tribulations because they have a whole new purpose in our lives. They have a whole new objective because tribulation brings perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. Hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad. He says, you're going to, now when you go through trouble, you're going to get to know God so much better and you're going to see his character developed in your life. Now, I analyze the whole scripture. You, know, you can't just take a verse out of here and there. But you have to look at the whole context of the Bible. And you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, God, what are you teaching? I mean, what's the big picture here? You know, if I hurt, I want not to hurt. That's my number one goal. Stop the pain. You know, how many of you would agree with me? That's your number one goal. Okay, we're all on the same page. Stop the pain. I like that. I don't like pain. I am not a masochist, and I'm ready to have this stuff stop. So stop the pain. And yet God says, there's something to be gained in tribulation. There's something to be gained in difficulties. Now, there's all kinds of pain. There's physical pain that comes from 
uh, physical problems, but there's emotional pain. And there's emotional pain that comes from relationships that are damaged. And there's the pain of grief when relationships terminate in death and you lose a loved one. There's that kind of pain. And there's the pain of watching other people suffer. And there's mental anguish. There, there are all kinds of pain in this world that we, that we face. And, and they're equally troublesome. You know, we tend to focus in on physical problems, but those are not even always the biggest problems. People suffer in many, many ways because of the circumstances of our world. And there's a tendency to look at the New Testament and draw the conclusion that everyone either was healed or should be healed. Like, right now, I want the healing. And as we examine the scriptures more closely, we find a little bit different story. Now, I want to be quick to say, I believe God heals that he heals today, that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. I have seen his healing power in my life. I have seen his healing power in the lives of others. I have prayed for people who were instantly healed. I, I have seen this with my eyes, and I have no doubt that God does these things and that he is able to do these things. I have also prayed with people, and they have not been healed right away. They have taken uh, some amount of time, and yet the doctors have said, wow, this is miraculous. We never expected to see this. And I have prayed for people who seemingly have not gotten well, at least in the way that I expected them to. And so I have to go back to the scripture, which is my authority. And I have to ask the question, Lord, what does your word tell me? And one of the things that I'd like to bring to your attention is uh, in Philippians chapter 2, there's this interesting story about Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was um, a messenger from Philippi who was sent to the Apostle Paul with their offering. Now, if you know something about the book of Philippians, you know that it's largely a big thank you note that Paul is writing back to Philippi saying, thank you for all the wonderful things you gave me. And Epaphroditus was the one who brought them. But when Epaphroditus reached Paul, he discovered that Paul had more need than the Philippian church had been able to provide. And so what Epaphroditus did, we find out in the story, is he stayed an extra period of time and he um, did something, went to work or something to help provide what was lacking in the gift to make up for what Paul actually needed. And, and in the course of doing that, he got sick. And he almost died. And I, let's read the story and then I'll come back and, and explain a few other details here. But verse 25 of Philippians 2, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, <clears throat> and not only on him, but on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. 
Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you can rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So we get the story that Epaphroditus had somehow done some extra work to help Paul and had become ill in the process and his sickness did not get better it got worse and continued to get worse and the Philippian church heard about it and they got all worried and concerned because they loved this guy and they sent him to Paul to be a help and now he's dying on him and you know there's all this concern going on do you see the time frame that's going on here I've been corresponding this past week with a fellow in Germany and uh, I couldn't get around to answering an email for a couple of days. So when I wrote him back two days later, I said, I apologize for the delay in sending you the email. Uh, I've had a few things going on here. But, uh, and, and he wrote me back and he said, Dear Paul, he said, do not worry about a two-day delay in an email. If we were having this conversation a few decades ago, it would have taken three months and I thought, oh, that's perspective. That helps me to get a handle on my two-day delay in email. Because you had to send a letter that traversed the continents back and forth. You know, Well, you did not send email from Rome to Philippi. Okay? You sent a letter that was delivered on foot across the Roman Empire between Rome and Philippi and back. And there had been enough time since Epaphroditus got sick for news to reach Philippi and news of their concern to come back. So we're talking a lot of time here. We're also looking at the reality that if I know anything about the Apostle Paul, I know he was praying. Now, Paul was a man who had seen God use him mightily in healing. He had prayed for a lot of people and they had been healed like that. They had just been healed. He had seen a lot of miracles. He had watched God cast out demons. Paul was a man who had great and tremendous faith, and he's praying for Epaphroditus. And what do you suppose he's praying? Lord, heal this man. And he's getting sicker and sicker. And Paul said, I was, I was worried he was going to die. I mean, he was at death's door. This did not happen in five minutes. One of the dangers of reading the scriptures, we can read, you know, six verses in, in a minute when it took three or four months to unfold. Paul's praying for a man who's getting sicker by the moment. And he's not seeing an answer to prayer until toward the end of this illness, there is this final deliverance where Epaphroditus is miraculously restored. And Paul says, God had mercy on us. But you know what? I'm sure that Paul had also buried friends. He had had people who had already fallen asleep in Christ at Thessalonica. He had had people who had already died at Corinth, believers, followers of Jesus Christ. He had to write them letters and say, friends, these people died before Jesus came back. Don't get upset about it. Jesus is still coming. They're going to come out of the grave. Christ is triumphant over the grave, but they were worried. Paul had already experienced that. 
When I began to put the whole thing into perspective, one of the things that I recognized is, in spite of the great and mighty miracles that all of the apostles of the New Testament witnessed and performed by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit firsthand, every one of them died. In fact, as it has been said, no one has ever been healed of their last illness. Every one of them died. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Bless his heart. He had to die again. Not everybody gets to die twice. Lazarus had to die twice because he's no longer here. I know he died again because he's not preaching. If he were alive today, he would be preaching today. Death eventually caught up with him as it will catch up with all of us if Jesus tarries. We're not going to live forever. We know that for sure. Until Jesus comes back and writes that problem and conquers death and the grave, we have to face that. Rowena got a book. Peggy, I think you loan it to her, Bruce Olson in Columbia. And she's been reading it. And so she's been reading it to me because whenever she gets excited about something, she has to share. And so uh, she's been telling me stories. And she's been reading me stories of Bruce Olson. And she was reading me one the other night. Now, this guy, when he was 19 years old, felt the call of God in his life. And he went off to Columbia to be a missionary. This was about... 55 years ago, because he's about 75 now. He's still living and preaching. But he went off about 55 years ago to Columbia to be a missionary because God told him to go. He didn't have a college education, didn't have Bible college training, didn't have background, but the call of God was on his life. His parents thought he was a little ditzy, but he, he just took off to Columbia. And he started sharing Jesus in the jungles. And he went to tribes that killed people. But eventually... By the grace of God, as he lived among them and adopted their culture and their ways, he was able to share Jesus Christ with them. This is our lifetime. This guy is still alive. He's a contemporary. There's a story in the book of one time the uh, guerrillas came in and took him captive. They kidnapped him. We're talking drug cartels, uh, insurgent guerrilla movements to overthrow governments, that kind of thing, drug money uh, behind all of that, yada, yada. This is bad scene in its current, like, 1980s and they take him off into the jungle and they uh, want him to get the whole tribe of Indians he's living with to line up with them and be buddies with the gorillas and he says I can't do that that's not what God sent me to do and so they chained him to a tree they chained him with a five-foot chain part of it around the tree part of it around his left ankle that gave him about two feet from the tree. He was there for more than four months in the jungle, chained to a tree. Bathroom is here. Dining room is here. Front room is here. Two feet from the tree in any direction. He has no shelter. After a while, his clothes are rotting off. He gets sick. He has diarrhea and bleeding and a type of diverticulitis. The man is dying, chained to the tree. Months go by. Where is God? 
Does God let those kinds of things happen to his people? Where is God? Why doesn't God heal him? Why isn't he miraculously spared from any suffering? Oh, I have this chain around my leg, but it doesn't bother me. You know, why, why is he going through this? There was a time, frankly, when he was at death's door. And one night he looked up in the tree and he saw one of these Modalone Indians that he had been working among kind of hanging out up by the tree. And this Indian said to him, you're going to be all right. God is going to heal you and this time tomorrow you will be well. And he said, can you cut me loose? He says, I'm not here to set you free, but to tell you that you're going to be all right and God is with you. And he said, I realized the Indian wasn't attached to the tree or anything else for that matter. He was just there. And then he went away. And he realized that he had been visited by an angel sent from God that was in the appearance of the Indian tribe he was working with. But the next day, his tummy issues were healed. But he was still chained to a tree for more than four months. They had planned to execute him. Obviously, they didn't because he wrote the book to tell about it. One of the things that comes out, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, is that they had guards on him, two guards at a time, that changed shifts every 10 hours to keep an eye on him. They were stationed just a short ways from the tree. And lo and behold, over time, over half of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, one of them came to him one day and said, you know, if the order ever comes for me to execute you, I will not do it. I cannot do it. You are a brother in Christ. And he said that knowing that it would mean he would be killed. But he said, I cannot do this. And half of those guards came to know Jesus Christ. And the gospel began to ripple through the guerrilla group that had taken him captive. Do people's souls matter that much to you, by the way? That you would go through that if it would mean their salvation? That was part of what drove the Apostle Paul. He said, I'll do anything if it means people are saved. In fact, he had a problem that he asked God to remove Three times he said, Lord, take this thing from me. It's just driving me crazy. I mean, I can't stand it anymore. And he said the third time, God said to him, Paul, I'm not going to take this. I'm doing something much bigger. And I want to make my glory known in your weakness. So if you will depend on me, I will manifest my glory. And Paul said, I will therefore glorify in my weakness that the power of God can be seen in me because this is good for you. And then therefore it's okay with me. So many times when we get in a crunch and we're hurting, we are looking to God to get us out of our misery. But we are not seeing the big picture. 
And the big picture is in Romans chapter 8, if you'd like to turn there for a moment. You knew I was going to get there eventually, didn't you? Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Friends, there are three basic sources of evil in the world. I mean, you can trace it all back to one, but there's three, three directions from which all suffering flows. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We live in a fallen world, and this world is full of trouble. And we are fallen people, and we're full of trouble. And we have an enemy who hates us because we have now come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he does not like it. He hates us for one reason, because God loves us. Therefore, he hates us. That's his only motivation. But the, the day we became followers of Jesus Christ, we became enemies, targeted enemies of the devil. So there's something that you can count on as a believer. You live in a fallen world, and you're going to be subject to the fallen world that everybody else has trouble in. You're going to have trouble too. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. Be of good cheer and comfort. I've overcome this world. And then he says, and, and you've got a fleshly nature, and that fleshly nature has fallen. And the scripture says, who can know the heart of man? It is deceitful and desperately wicked beyond all things. Who can know it? Our own depravity is astounding in its depths. And, and we don't see that very well. But, but I will tell you this. If you have ever had even a glimpse of your depravity, if God has drawn back the curtain for you and showed you even momentarily the evil that lies within your own heart, how there can be an ounce of arrogance, an ounce of judgment, an, an ounce of looking down on another human being, I will never understand. Because if you have once seen an inkling of who you are, truly who you are in the face of God, you can't pass judgment on any other human being on the planet. Of those three, the world, the flesh, and the devil, guess who your biggest trouble always is? It's looking you in the mirror every morning. It's you. We are our biggest problem. The world has fallen and it's full of disease and sickness and, and we're going to run into trouble out there. And the devil hates us with a passion. But we're the ones that trip ourselves up more often than anything else. The scripture said a man is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. That's his problem. Even the devil couldn't appeal to us if there wasn't something to which he appeals. You know, he comes and Gives us this enticement. If you want to press that logic to the wall all the way back, we'll talk about it another time, because there's, 
there's something in there I don't have time to pursue right now. But, but the truth is the enemy comes at us at our vulnerable places. You know that. You know that from your own experience. You have certain weaknesses that are more than others. Those are your Achilles heels, in, spiritually speaking. And that's where the devil comes at you. There are some things I'm just not tempted to do. You know why? Because I could care less about them. It never tempted me. Doesn't mean I couldn't be. You never know where you could actually go if you started down the trail. But there's some things that just don't tempt me. There's other things that are real trouble. Just because of the way you're wired and I'm wired. But we're our number one enemy. And God says in this passage, I am on a mission. Now that you have come to me, I am focused on your redemption. Listen, friends, God did not just save you and me to get us to heaven. That's the ultimate result of being followers of Christ. He saved us to make us look like Jesus. To restore us to that lost image. To rebuild in us the glory of Jesus Christ so that when people see us, they see Christ in us. God is determined to do that. He says it is predestined. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He is determined to make you look like Christ. He wants you to look like Jesus. And he says... God is therefore able to take everything in our lives and work it out for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? To make you look like Jesus. If you're called according to his purpose, he's able to take everything that happens in your life and incorporate it into that master plan to make you look like Jesus Christ. And I believe there's a divine filter. I think I have good scriptural basis for this because the scripture says God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear, but with every temptation, he'll make a way of escape. Guess what? That is in Jesus. Jesus is our only way of escape ever. You ever think you can work your way out of temptation and a problem? Well, that's your first step in the wrong direction. You're headed for the fall. You know, if you do not understand by now that the moment you're tempted, your only hope is to look to Jesus Christ for what you don't possess an ounce of, which is self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, not one of yours. And you look to Jesus, and he will take you out of the problem. You look to yourself, you're headed down the chute. It's just, it's just a matter of time. It's going to be in the next minute, five minutes, an hour, Half a night, I don't care, but you're, down, you're already on the road. But every temptation that comes your way, God puts a filter in the way. And he will not let the enemy bring something at you that you cannot recover in the power of Jesus Christ with victory. Nor will he allow anything to come into your life that he cannot incorporate into his divine purposes to make you look like Jesus Christ. So guess what? If you're facing something as a child of God, he knows that it is something 
that he can incorporate in his eternal purposes to make you look like Christ. Are you on board with him in that objective? Are, have you bought into his mission? Are you ready to go with him? I, you know, um, I want to tell you, I've told you before that I have a, a, I have a kind of a goal. I have this picture in mind. You know the sons of thunder? You know who they were in the scriptures? James and John, brothers. They were, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven on these people? You know, James and John. I'll get the sword. <laughs> it wasn't just Peter that was ready to go. James and John. Had their mom come to Jesus and say, hey, when you get in your kingdom, can, can, they, can my boys sit on your right and your left? But when John got to be an old man, James never made it past Jerusalem. He was the first martyr of the apostles. But when John got to be an old man, he has a different story to tell. He writes his letter, Technimu, my, my little children. Oh, I have so many things I want to tell you, my little children. He's so tender. He's so full of love. He's got this white hair and this gentle, you know, old man kindness. And I, I have this picture of me when I'm about 90. It's probably going to take another 25 years, 30 years. But I have this picture. I want to be that man. I've told you that before. I want to be that guy. I want to be that old, white-haired, under-shepherd that when people get around, they just feel Jesus. They just sense his presence. I'm not talking about a soft weirdo. I'm just talking about, I'm talking about a real guy. Because I, I, I hope, you know, that I've got that persona too. But I, but I want to be gentle. I want to be humble. I want to be sweet. I want Jesus leaking out of every pore of my skin. I just, I want to, to communicate him. And you know what? I'm not there yet. I'm not there. I, um, When I hurt, and it goes on for a while, after a while, I just get ornery. I get irritable, you know. <laughs> uh, my wife tried to get me up last night because I was plugged into this IV and I'd fallen asleep and I needed to get up and changed it. And she was trying to get me up and you're supposed to wash your hands before you do that. And it's like, I'm not getting out of this bed. Leave me alone. I'm not getting up. But we got to get your IV out. I don't care. I will take it out just right here. I'm not moving. You know, I could tell that she was getting wounded. And um, I said, just bring me the alcohol hand stuff. I'll just wipe my hands here. You know, I, I was just done. And, but I was not sweet. And I told her a little later, I said, I'm sorry. I don't want to be like that. I don't like that. You know, I hate hospitals. 
I hate hospitals. I hate being in them. I hate being a patient. I, I like being the caregiver. I just don't like being a patient. That is not something I do well. I, I, I'm happy to... I, tell, I told the first hour, I may as well tell you, you know, you're sick and in a mess and disaster or whatever and you can't go to the toilet by yourself. I can go with you and I can wipe for you. I'm fine with that. I've had my hands in more gunk in the ER than you can imagine, blood and guts and everything. And that's fine. I can clean you up, wipe you up, wash you down, patch you up, whatever it takes, I can do it. I don't care. Hold the emesis basin while you throw up, that's fine with me. I don't care. That doesn't bother me. I'll get you clean and fresh and feeling better and <laughs> whatever. Oh, I don't like being the patient. I don't like that done to me. I have my pride. I have my dignity. And I go in the hospital a couple weeks ago and I am a fall hazard. You know what a fall hazard is? <laughs> Yellow booties. Yellow booties. You have to press the button to get out of the bed. Otherwise, the weight alarm goes off and it must be set for about 10 ounces. You get up and, well, I didn't try because, but it did go off when they forgot to turn it off a time or two. Sounds like a backup alarm on a dump truck. It's terrible. Cannot miss it. They said that's the point. We don't want to miss it. Don't leave this bed without us get to the bathroom okay oh no no we're not leaving until you're sitting I'm not sitting until you're leaving <laughs> I don't do these things well I did win that one by the way I have a walker. I've never had a walker. I can't walk without it. But I have a walker. And I have to ask people to get things for me now. I had asked Dale to bring my French horn in this morning. I was at the doctor's office Friday and I said, should I be working? I mean, seriously, should I be working? Because what you may not realize is I have the bone infection in the left foot, but the gout moved to my right foot. It didn't like the bacteria either, so it moved over. And so I couldn't walk most of this week on my right foot, and it was pretty miserable. And uh, he said, yeah, you can work, but I don't want you walking. And uh, after walking, the next worst thing you can do is stand. So just don't walk and don't stand. If you want to go sit somewhere, that's fine. Okay. I have to ask people to go fetch for me. I don't do that well. I don't do the receiving side well. You know what it takes to be a good receiver? Humility. Did you ever read about anything in the Christian life about humility? I, I mean, isn't it one of those necessary ingredients? You know, and so somewhere along the line, I'm praying over some of this. And God is saying to me, do you want to be that godly old man in your vision? Then I have some work to do. And you're not that person yet. 
I want to make you look like Jesus. Do you, are you in for the trip? Or you want to look like Jesus? I have some work to do. <sighs> okay. I want to look like Jesus. And I have to tell you, friends, when you're suffering, you need to get with God and you need to ask him some questions. And, and can I just be real honest about this, too? We're, we're out of time, so I'm going to have to quit. But can I just be real honest? I don't know what you imagine me doing right now when I'm, quote, convalescing. You know, am I sitting around reading the Bible four hours a day, praying the other eight hours, meditating? I can't read much of anything right now. Can I just tell you truthfully? When you've got a fever you get chills, or you hurt, you can't concentrate. I'm not reading much of anything. I'm trying, but I'm not succeeding. I, I pray, I, God and I have a lot of conversations, but they're short. And I pray for you, and I pray for others, but they're short. It's hard for me to, to, to really have focused anything. Actually, the the things I do best are with my hands when I'm just occupied. If I'm trying to do thinking stuff, I don't think very clearly. I couldn't read anything last night. I went home after the wedding and just went to bed, really. Got up two or three times, ate some supper, went back to bed, got up and started an IV, went back to bed. You heard my story about ending it. Uh, stayed in bed. Um, I know what it's like when you're hurting. I can remember Ruth Sween suffering with C. diff, and she's on that awful metronidazole, and she, oh, the dear woman just went through suffering and suffering, and it went on for two years. I don't know how she did it. And she said, I feel so useless. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't read, she couldn't paint, she couldn't focus. She, she just hurt for two years. And even her praying, she felt, was deficient. Oh, she was a precious saint of God. Precious saint. I don't know what um, Bruce Olson did chained to a tree for four months. But somehow it was what came out of him that won guards to Christ. I want people to see Jesus in me. I really do. I want him to win this battle. And there's a bigger picture to healing than just getting out of the moment of pain. Are you willing for God to do the bigger work? Because he will heal you. And one day he will raise you. And he will make you look like Christ. Unless you fight him tooth and nail all the way. And most people, frankly, do. They become Christians, they thought it was going to be easy street, and they spend the rest of their Christian life kicking against the work God wants to accomplish. And that's sad, because he has so much in store. Father, open our hearts and our eyes and our lives to receive the true ministry of redemptive restoration that you have in mind and perform your work to make us look like Jesus Christ. I ask it in his precious name.
Amen.